And uh, we had a great Sunday last Sunday, uh, just a great time uh, preaching to the fathers. And this is, uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to be adding on to that. And, you know, Mother's Day, you know, I, I admonish the, the ladies. Uh, then for Father's Day, I admonish the men. And uh, so what we're going to be working on is admonishing both groups and uh, going to be doing some preaching on the home on Sunday morning for the foreseeable future. I don't want to say how many, I always say how many weeks and I always go long or something. So I'm just going to say for the next few weeks, um, maybe a few months, no, uh, a few weeks we're going to be preaching, going to be preaching on the home. And a great question, what is a home, especially a Christian home? What is a Christian home? And uh, so many years ago, not too many years ago, we didn't really have to define that. Uh, but today we do. Because I believe that the Word of God gives us the answer to the things that are affecting our families. Affect because I think a lot of the times are... Wait a minute. I left it in Judges 15. I'm sorry. Psalm, 100, Psalm 127. We're going to verse number 1. So that, that's my fault, Brother Co. Uh, that was from leftover from Wednesday. I'm allowed to make one mistake. There it was, right there. Okay, Psalm 127, one this morning. What is a home? And each one, there's going to be seven ingredients here. What should be seen? Uh, each one of the phrases, you're going to see a phrase, and that dot dot dot, and that dot 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 after it means uh, should be seen in our homes. Okay. So that makes sense. So we see the, the Lord Jesus should be seen in our homes. That's the first point. We're not there yet, but we're going to get there. So just so you, if you're taking notes, uh, should be seen in our homes. What should we see in a Christian home? What does the Bible say should be in there? And so I know many men stood up last week and said, I'm going to be that leader. I'm going to be the one to stand in the gap for the Lord to make up the hedge. Amen. Many of you stood up. So here's how you do it. This is how you make a Christian home. This is what should be seen in your home. And we're going to be see, look at some things that should not be seen in your home. And so what is a home? So let's look at that. Psalm 127, verse number one. Let's stand together out of respect for the reading of the word of God. And we're going to read this verse out loud together. Because we look at it and we, lo- we like to pride ourselves on building things. You know, we, we built a spaceship that went to the moon. You know, we see we're building so many things. We're building technology today, right? We're building electric vehicles that freeze in the wintertime. No, but, you know, we're, we have technology. We pride ourselves on building things, skyscrapers, the longest bridge, and all of these things, these accomplishments. Diving down to see the Titanic that's already sunk and gone, you know, those type of things. These, these are our accomplishments. This, we can do it. Out of all those things, you yourself cannot build a Christian home. That's something you cannot do. Well, you can, you can build a church, but a God-centered, a God-blessed church, only God can build. And so this morning, let's get this idea of our head. Well, okay, I'm going to write down these seven things, and if I get them in there, uh, then it will be fine. This isn't hocus-pocus. Uh, okay, this is not a, uh, if I do this really quick, if I just add these seven ingredients, then my home will be a Christian home. No, God's got to build it. God has to build the home, and that's exactly what we see in Psalm 127.1. Let's read it out loud together. All right, so Psalm 127.1, let's begin. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. 
except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. How true. We can labor and labor and labor and try to build and build and build a Christian home and build something that honors God, but unless God's building it and using his word to build it, our labor is wasted. And I don't think any of us likes to waste our time, do we? We don't want to waste our effort. And so this morning, let's look at what a home should be. But first, let's pray and ask God's blessing. Dear Father, I pray that you will bless our time together in your word. And I pray that you would guide us uh, to exactly what you want to see in our homes, dear Lord. You want us to have successful, blessed homes, a place of refuge from the world. You want that for us, Lord. And I pray this morning we would want that and that we would make some hard decisions today and that we would make some commitments today as moms and dads and children and husbands and wives, that we make some decisions today that would affect eternity. It will affect our children for eternity, but also, Lord, it will affect the generations to come. It all begins here. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our home, strengthen our faith in you and our trust in you, strengthen our church. I pray, Lord, that you would guide and direct and bless and help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When we look at the strength of a country, we looked at the strength of a church or the strength of any of those metrics. Can I tell you something here today? The building block of a nation is a family. The building block of a church is a family. And family, a husband and wife, a family is the first institution that God created on planet earth when he created Adam and he created Eve and and performed the first marriage ceremony in the Garden of Eden. A family unit was built there and God created it and this was before the fall. That God created the family, an institution, not just an institution, but the building block of a civilization, the building block of a church. And this is exactly, our church is only going to be as strong as our homes are. If our homes are weak and our church and our homes are in shambles and our homes are full of the world and our homes are not full of the things of God, then our church will flounder. And that's the truth. So how are we? And also, not only that, we're going to see destruction in our kids. We're going to see weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because that's exactly what the devil wants. So I hope today that you want to short-circuit the devil's plan for your family. Amen. That's what we want. We want to short-circuit that. What does God want from our family? So we're going to look at seven things of what should be seen in your home. But I want to get something out of the way here. I said, well, you know, what if my spouse doesn't want these things in our home? Too bad. You make a decision that you're going to see them put there. Amen. You're going to do your part. I can't do the part for your spouse. You can't do the part for your spouse, but you can do your part. Amen. As I'm going to be, I'm going to do my part. What if my kids don't want these things in our home? Tough. Amen. They don't get to decide what's in the home. You do. You're mom and dad. You decide how the home runs. The children don't. What if my children, you know, if they, as they get older, well then, you know, if they don't like how the home runs, they don't want to be a part of Jesus or a part of the church and they can move out of your house when they get old enough. Pastor, this isn't a very inspirational message here. I'm just being honest with you. 
These are so bedrock solid things that need to be there that we need to not make any excuse why they shouldn't be there. So number one this morning, the Lord Jesus should be seen in our homes. The Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we are to be reflections of Christ. There's a popular saying, a plaque in homes not too many years ago. Jesus is the unseen guest at every meal, the unseen listener in every conversation, right? So that sounds wonderful, but can we say this morning, that's not good enough. Yes, Jesus sees and hears all that we do in a home, but Jesus must be a member of the family. Amen. That he is not just someone you go visit on Sunday morning, like you go visit grandma at the nursing home. You go, Jesus is a part of your home. Why? Because the Spirit of God dwells in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is your Savior. We learned in Sunday school that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he has every right over you. Amen. We talk about our rights and what we want, and what, but what does God want? We need to have Jesus present and be able to be seen in our home. How is he seen? Well, he is seen through our lives. And we're going to get into more of that here in just a minute. He is seen through how we set up our home. Great example of this in Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 23. We're not going to turn there right now. But the plagues of darkness, the plague of darkness that came upon Egypt. And a great example of this, an illustration of this, is that they were groping around in the darkness, but in the Israelites' houses, they had light. And that's exactly what's going on today. The lost world, they're groping around in the dark. They're groping around in the dark, trying to figure out where to go. They can't, it said that they just laid there in their homes. They couldn't move anywhere. They couldn't see the hand in front of their face. They couldn't see anything. It was completely, they were completely blind because of the darkness. But can I tell you something? That as God's people, we have the light. We have the light of Jesus Christ himself. We have the light of the word of God. And so we better let that light shine in our homes and not let the darkness in. Jesus needs to be seen. There are two places that Jesus shines. Number one is in the church. As God's people, we looked at the Great Commission this morning. We ought to let the light of Jesus Christ shine in the house of God. Amen. We have, and there are some churches that he doesn't shine very brightly. A lot of other things try and shine, but it just brings darkness. But we have the word of God. And the second place is in the home. But too many parents, they expect to see the light at church, but they don't really think about the light that needs to be at home. It's not my responsibility to teach your children about God. It's not the church's responsibility to teach your children about God. Though we do, it is your job as parents. And we're going to get to that in a minute. That yes, we aid in that. We help. But just because you learn about God in church doesn't mean that your kids are going to turn out. They need to be taught at church and at home. Amen. And yes, he does shine through us. Philippians 2.15 says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. That's our job, to shine as godly, righteous, holy, separated Christians. And you can't do that by playing footsie with the world. You can't do it. I think we've seen over the last 20, 30 years enough Christian homes go by the wayside that I think we need to understand something. The whole let's keep the world in our homes and live for God doesn't work. 
It doesn't work. We've seen destruction. We've seen things happen. Moms and dads haven't wanted to make the hard decisions about entertainment. They haven't made the hard decisions about who their kids' friends are. They don't want to make the hard decisions about what video games should be in their house, if at all. They haven't made the hard decisions. You know why? They're afraid of their children. I hear this phrase over and over and over and over and over and over again. Can I just say this? I am sick of hearing it. I don't want to make my kids bitter. No, you're just going to ruin them for life. That's all. By letting them have what they want. I'm going to make my kids bitter. I'm going to make it. I'm going to, uh, I don't want to just make them bitter. No, you teach them why you do it. This is the word of God and this is what we're going to do. And they'll thank you for it one day. But they might be upset at me. Yes, they're going to be upset. How many times, can I be honest with you this morning, how many times do we tell our children to do things? They're not happy about it. Right? That if we let our children do what they want, I mean, they'd run on the rooftops, right? Right? <laughs> Dad, can I do this? Well, no, you can't. Because I don't want you breaking your neck. And they go away and they're unhappy because they had their heart set on it. But they don't realize that it will injure them. Can we be honest about it? Well, our hearts, well, you know, we just need to give our kids what they want. That's why we have the millennial me generation, a generation of we just gave the kids what they wanted. You know, give the heart desire. Oh, they didn't win the first place. They just give them the consolation prize. Everybody wins in Little League, right? Everybody wins. That's what that's created. Jesus needs to be shown in the home. I'm never going to get through all seven points. I'm just letting you know, but we might do part two tonight. Okay. We might roll into tonight. Jesus is the light of the world. He said in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. Amen. Whoever is in him will not what? Dwell in darkness. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad you have the light of the gospel? But the light of the gospel isn't just saving from sin. The light of the gospel shines everywhere in our lives. And in our homes, it's not just for going to heaven. We limit it to that. The gospel, it's so much more than that. It is life transforming. Is he shining in our homes? Or do we take him out of his box on Sunday morning and then put him back in when church is over? We pull him out Sunday morning and then, oh, yes, I love you, Lord. And then you put him back in his box and there's no light in your home and you close the box up. Because Christ is to be the head of the home, Colossians 1.8, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in, whatever I want him to have, he might have the preeminence. Is that what it says? All things. Everything. Every single area of our life ought to have Christ number one. What our job is, what our family structure is, what our service in the church is, you name it. Every area, you want to name an area, we could take a poll of different areas, different suggestions. Christ is to be number one in all of it. What about my relationship with my spouse? Christ is number one. Then you'll be the right kind of spouse you need to be. He is first in everything. Well, what if I have to work on Sunday? Christ is first in all things. It's the Lord's day. But that's not popular in our society today. It's not popular in churches either. Because that's the only way you're going to see the Lord Jesus 
should be seen in our homes. Do you know, and I was talking to somebody yesterday, the only reason I am what I am today is because of God and because my parents made sure I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If I didn't, I wouldn't know where I would be now. And guess what? We tried. It doesn't matter if there was a blizzard outside. We went to church. There was a couple times. No one else was at church, but we were. You know, they canceled church. You know, they didn't have cell phones. And they say they had canceled church. And we left, we left about, you know, usually it was a 20-minute drive to church. We left an hour early because we knew that there was about six inches of snow on the ground. And we were there. And we went to church. Amen, Pastor Harvey. I mean, he knows what it's like up there in the snow and all of that. And my dad said, we're going to church. And my mom's like, honey, they're probably going to cancel church. He said, I don't care. We're going. We're going to be there. And you know what I learned? Don't ever make an excuse not to go to church. Amen. There's no excuse. You know, we tried being sick. Oh, Dad, I'm sick. Oh, that's, do you have a fever? No. Oh, I feel Oh, it's my stomach. You know, we switched real quick. Oh, it's my stomach. It was my head. Now it's my stomach. Oh, Oh, I don't want to go to church, Dad. Okay, throw up and show me. Then you feel better. Then you'll go. You know, now there were times that we were sick, you know. I remember one time I didn't go to church because I was too traumatized because it was Sunday morning and we were getting ready. I had a little parakeet, a little green, green budgie, and I was carrying him with my finger, and he flew into the bathroom door and broke his neck and fell dead on the ground when I was about nine years old and I just cried and cried and so I didn't have to go to church that Sunday morning because you know we, mom stayed home with me because I was just too shook up you know because my bird died okay there are exceptions okay but still Jesus needs to be seen I'm not getting through all seven points here all right number two number two it was ambitious but we're not getting there but the Lord should be seen in our home second love should be seen in our homes and 1 John 3.18 says, My children, little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in what? Deed and in truth. Is it not enough to say that we love somebody, though we should? Amen. We should tell our kids we love them verbally. Guys, tell your kids verbally you love them every day, multiple times a day. Tell your wife, well, she knows I love her. Show her, tell her. But not only just tell her, but show her too. In word and deed and in truth. We should say, I love you often, but we should show our love as well. But let's look at Matthew 24, if you could. Matthew 24, verse number done. There's an obstacle to love today. There's an obst- there are obstacles. We're going to look at a couple of passages together. Matthew 24, verse 12. A verse I've preached on many times before, but this is the day we live in today. You want us a verse that sums up today. The day and age we live in. A day and age that, yes, has happened before in other civilizations, but in our country hasn't happened before. What do we live in today? Verse 12, and because iniquity. What is iniquity? It's sin. It's thumbing your nose in the face of God. It's doing what you want. Willful, self-willed rebellion against God and his word. And because iniquity shall abound. It's not isolated. It's everywhere. It's out in the open. It's an affront to God because it shall abound. The law, what's the result of that? The love of many shall wax cold. Because of sin and because sin shall abound, not just outside, but shall abound in people's lives, their love will wax cold. 
How is it you think you have these mass shootings and these people are stone cold killers? So, well, don't they have any type of love for humanity? No, they don't. Because of sin has abounded in their life. That's, by the way, you want to see where sin's going to take you? It's going to take you there. And maybe not to that extreme, but it's going to take you to a place of past feeling, the Bible says, where you're just going to do what you want to do. And you're going to live how you want to live. And you don't care what people think. You don't care what God thinks. You don't care what the Bible says. You don't care about people you love the most, your wife, your husband, or your children say or care. You're just going to do what you're going to do. And everyone else can lump it. And that's exactly the day we live in. A willful rebellion. And that is a lack of love. And that's not how we run our homes. Amen. We think of others, not ourselves. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. There's a difference between that and drawing boundaries for your children to protect them. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We don't want to be this way. We don't want to be cold. We don't want to have a lack of love. But you know what? You can lovingly have boundaries for your family. Amen. And we're going to get to that in a minute. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Why? Well, here's another. It's an expansion here. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Selfishness. Covetous. I got to have it. Doesn't matter if I have to spend myself into oblivion to get it. I want it. Doesn't matter if she's someone else's wife. I want her. I want it now. I don't care that she's somebody's daughter. I want it now. Boasters. Oh, look at what I did. You know, we see that people sin and they boast about it, right? Oh, I lied to the boss. Oh, proud. Blasphemers. They blaspheme God and his book. Ha, it's not true. Who could believe that old dried up fairy tale book? Blasphemers. Oh, yeah, God's up in heaven. Oh, God, go ahead and strike me. I'm sinning. Yeah, that's the blasphemy of today. Disobedient to parents. You're like, how'd that get in there? Wow. Now, just remember what I just talked about. Covetousness, I want it now, give it to me. Boasters, boasting about sin. Proud. Pride month, what are we in June? It's proud. Pride month. I have pride in what I want to be. Even though it's against nature and God is blasphemous in the eyes of God. Blasphemers. Someone that curses God. And then they put in disobedient to parents. Same level. So disobeying your parents is a big deal. Disobeying the authorities God's placed in your life is a big deal. But it's not a big deal if you go to public school. That's not a big deal. You're encouraged to disobey your parents. You watch Cartoon Network today? Oh, yeah, I don't need to listen to mom and dad. They're a bunch of idiots anyway. So those things don't have a place in your house if you want a godly home because they're going to go against what God's trying to do in your home. And that's the sad thing. You see mom and dad trying to build and let God build over here and then they let the entertainment here destroy behind them. And you wonder why you don't get anywhere. Because you need to set some boundaries. See, a trend coming here, boundaries here. Love should be in our homes. But then let's continue on. 
<clears throat> I'm thankful. Wow, man. I said, the, the kids here, just listen up here. I'm thankful. I don't like the food you made for me, Mom. Man, I can go get someone better over at Jimmy's house. I'm going to go over there. Huh. I didn't get the full combo. What do you mean? I got the kids menu. You know, I got the McDouble. I wanted the Big Mac. What's wrong with you, Mom and Dad? Don't you have money to give me what I want? And you know what? I'm just going to throw away this little, this little McDouble over here because I don't want it. I deserve better than that. That's unthankful. Crickets, crickets, crickets. Unholy. These are things that are common today that are even accepted among Christian people. This is serious. This is the day we live in. For traitors. Traitors to God, traitors to their country, traitors to their family. By the way, gentlemen, if you're involved in pornography, you're a traitor to your wife. And vice versa. Heady, high-minded. Here it is. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They would rather involve themselves in pleasures than spend time in prayer. They'd rather have pleasure than read their Bible. They'd rather sleep for two extra hours than be in Sunday school. They love what they feel is right and pleasurable for them more than their love for God. Because a love for God is going to, what did Paul say, I keep under my body. It's not about what I enjoy, my pleasures in life. It's about loving and serving him. That's what life is about. If you live by just having your life filled with pleasure, you're going to end up in a very broken and dis- discouraged and disillusioned person. Because that's what your feelings are. I'm going to live by how I feel. Because if I feel good about it, it's right. What did Nike used to say, or Sprite, if it feels good, what? Do it! Right? Was that Nike or was that Sprite? Was that Sprite? A few years ago? I can't remember. If it feels good, do it! That's the society we live in today. I'm like, oh, you know, that just quaints an advertising campaign. Man, our whole generation sure did it. If, it. if the beer makes you feel good, drink it! Do it. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So here it is, a form of godliness, little g. Maybe they have religion. Maybe they're religious people. Maybe even they're a Christian. Maybe they're even in an independent fundamental Baptist church. But they have no power. They pretend instead of really living for God. But how do we love? Well, we know Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also what? Love the church. Sacrificially giving of yourself. Wives are to love their husbands. Titus 2.4. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, and to love their children. That's what older ladies are to teach the young ladies how to do that. Mothers to love their children, and etc. Love needs to be seen in our homes. Number three, the Bible. The Bible should be seen in our homes. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. We'll go turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 for me. We're going to be those three, see these three verses really quick. This goes without saying. We've already been saying this. So I'm going to be very quick in this point, then we're going to move on. But 
The Bible should be seen in our homes. I think we're going to get to number four, and then we'll just have to pick up the rest tonight. So uh, the Bible should be seen in our homes. Then what I was planning to preach on for tonight, I'll preach next on, next week. So all right. got my preaching all planned for the week. Here we go. All right. The Bible should be seen in our homes. Deuteronomy 6, 6. In these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine what? How do we get the Bible in the hearts of people? How do we get the Bible in the hearts of our kids? Because you can have the Bibles, the Bible there, and you can say some verses at family devotion time or even at the dinner table. You can spend some time and you can maybe even read your devotions and have your kids read something. But you can read something without it entering your heart. You can do something without entering your heart. How do we do that? How does something enter into the heart? Because we can read something, but then if we have a verse, a passage of Scripture, and I get up here and I preach on it, and I teach you about it, it gives an opportunity for God to get it into your heart. And so it's not enough. Like, okay, so I've got to bring out the magic book real here. And so we're just going to read it really quick, read two verses real quick, and then now we're going to have a Christian home. Okay, that's great. I'm glad you're doing that. But if you're not teaching what that means and letting it apply, be apply it and live it, then it won't get into your heart. And that's God knows that. That's why he's telling the children of Israel, yes, these things will be, yes, not just do them, because that's just your framework of what you're supposed to do, but to do it from where? Your heart. Mean it. Live it. And thou shalt teach them diligently. So here, what's the, what's the key here? Mom and dad, it's got to be in your heart First got to be in your life first. Don't teach your children to do something that you don't do. Don't expect something out of them that you have no intention of doing yourself. Don't make your children read their Bibles when you don't crack the book open yourself. Don't expect your children to pray and see answer prayer if you can't be bothered to pray. Amen. Well, I want my children to grow up spiritual. I want them to be a preacher. It has to start with you. They'll never make it. Unless it's in your heart first. <coughs> and shall teach them diligently unto thy children. And shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down. And when thou risest up all the time. I love how God just, instead of saying everywhere all the time, he tells them when and where. Amen. Aren't you glad of that? Just in case there's some misunderstanding. What does that mean? Your lifestyle, living life. Teach them about God's word, not just at a specific time at the end of the day or at the dinner table, but teach them about God and how good he is all day long in living life. Teach your children to see God in the Bible everywhere, positive and negative. You know, I teach my children that story. You know, their, their kids are sitting there saying nasty things to their parents. And they see that and they do that. You know what? I just don't say, oh, don't look at that. Don't see that. Oh. We just forget about that. They didn't forget about it. They saw it. But what do we teach them? Hmm. So why do you think someone would do that? I let them think it through. Oh, well, they don't obey their parents. Well, why? Because they're sinners. They said, don't you, that's why we don't let you disobey like that. We don't let you do that. Because did you see that mom and dad's face? Were they upset? Were they hurt by what their child... Oh, yes. You don't want to hurt mom and dad. No. Sin hurts. Teach them that. 
That's the idea of this verse. Verse 9, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. So that's what you see to this day. If you go even knocking on doors here in town, you will see a, uh, it's more kind of a trinket now, but what they have is they have inscribed uh, in Hebrew part of the Torah and it's put on the doorpost of their house. They, Jews take it literally to this day, what is written right here. And we're like, well, they have the, they don't, they rejected the Messiah. Well, they sure got something figured out that we can't figure out. So, yes, does that mean it ought to be in our homes? It ought, the Bible ought to be visible, not just sitting on the coffee table collecting dust, but, you know, we have scripture verses all through the house. You know, some people, they put, they put scripture verses on their mirrors for their kids to memorize when they can read. Uh, have the Bible visible in your home. Uh, you know, we put, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, but just don't let it be decor. Let it be that you mean it. Not just decor. The number four, prayer should be in our homes. Here's a question. Here's a question this morning. Here's a question. And you don't have to answer out loud, but answer honestly in your own heart. Do your children ever hear mom and dad pray? Do they ever hear their parents praying for them. Do they hear that? If not, you ought to burn with shame. And we ought to hit our knees and ask God for forgiveness because that's the only way our families are going to make it is by prayer. Have you ever taught them to pray? Remember, it has to start with you. If you don't know how to pray, and if you don't pray, you won't teach your children to pray. And I'm not talking about now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my God, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Not only is that theologically incorrect, second of all, you're teaching them a vain repetition, which the Bible says is sin. Teach them to talk to God. And I tell you what, some of my children, they're, they're little prayer warriors. I tell you what, they put me to shame sometimes. And they're praying for things. They mean the earnest and just some of the things they come up and just talking to God like he's really there. Amen. And I'm just like, wow, thank you, Lord, for that. Teach them to pray. Can I ask you a question? Do you even know how to pray? Mom and dad, do you know even know how to pray? Some of you say, well, I don't know how to pray. Are you talking to me right now? Yes. And talk to God. That's what prayer is. It's not some special gift that someone gives you or that God gives you. It's a conversation. But here it is when we say, well, I don't know what to pray or how to pray. Can I just say something? You're making an excuse and in your mind, I don't need to pray. I don't want to pray. Guess what? We don't always want to pray because our flesh says, I don't need that. I don't need God. I don't need his presence. I don't need that. I can make it myself. Pride, right? They're proud. I don't need the intervention of God. I've got this figured out. You know, if we went around the room, you might be surprised by some of the answers you may give to some of these questions. But James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, we need wisdom in raising kids. Amen. I ask every day, Lord, I need wisdom today. Amen. I need wisdom today. I don't know what to do with this problem. Right? You know, if 
Carrie, you know this, you know, having boys, you know, just days they get up and they just want to kill each other in the first thing in the morning, like, what do I do with them, right? <laughs> they wake up just, ah, right? Too much testosterone or something, I don't know. <laughs> Put them back to bed, start the day over again, right? <laughs> and if you lack wisdom, let them ask of Facebook. You know what? I'm going to go. That's right. I'm going to go open up my book and I'm going to ask James Dobson. In this book, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up Mike, Mike and Debbie Pearl and learn about them. Just throw them away and get in the book. Amen. If you want, if you had only knew what Mike and Debbie Pearl have created in Christian families in our day and age and the abuse it has created, you throw it out the window. Garbage. I know he, I hope that he's saved, but guess what? The way he talks about things and vileness and flippancy about private, intimate things is sin and ought not be in any Christian's library. And it's a shame to the cause of Christ. All right, I'm not going to get off there. But it's very common in our churches today, especially our conservative churches. The Bible says, train up a child in the way that he should go. Look to the Bible, not to a man. You'll always go wrong if you follow a man, but you'll never go wrong if you follow the Bible. But if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He's the one that created your children. He's the one that created you. He's the one that created all things. Don't you think he's the one that has enough wisdom to know what's going on? That giveth to all men. Not only does, okay, God doesn't. We go to him as a Lord, I need wisdom. Okay, you know, you going to somebody, you know, what if you went to the fast food restaurant and you ordered a Big Mac or you ordered a, oh, sorry, they were Christians, a Chick-fil-A sandwich, right? And we go there, not on Sunday, of course, but <laughs> don't go try and go today for lunch. You're going to be disappointed. Anyway, um, every time we drive by, if we're going somewhere on Sunday, it's so funny to see people. Haven't you seen people driving the Chick-fil-A Thing on Sunday. Have you seen that? How many of you have done it? Just be honest. You've done okay. I've done it a couple times. I was like, I pulled up one time. It was one of those Sundays. Love was going on. Pulled up there. It was the evening. I was like, I wonder why they're not coming. Man, this place is pretty empty. Man, we're gonna get right in, and right out quick. And I look at my wife, and it's Sunday, isn't it? And I remember, I think I told somebody, yeah, we're going to Chick Fil A for dinner, and they're kind of looking at me like, oh. Should I say something? He's joking, right? He's joking. I wasn't. Anyway, so <laughs> we went there. But we got a Chick-fil-A sandwich, you know, and we got, the, got our waffle fries, right? Got our sun joy. Amen. God's food right there. But they come out and they give you a chicken sandwich this big. They give you a little thing, give you one waffle fry and one of those little Dixie cups full of sun joy. So here you go. What? That's not what I need. What do we want? We want something big. You know, we want something substantial. But that's how some people view God. If you go to him, that he is somehow just going to give you that little Dixie cup of sun joy, that little chicken sandwich, and that one waffle fries. Here, go figure out your problems with that. Is that what the Bible says here? That's not liberally. That's being stingy. And we would want a refund. Because I'm at the prices you pay at Chick-fil-A. You expect something. 
Wonder why Christians are in debt today because of Whataburger and Chick-fil-A. If you have a family of two, you have to take out a loan. But give us all man liberally and abradeth not. What does abrade mean? That he doesn't put conditions on it. Just here. I want to give you all that you need. Oh, you and have you ever gone to somebody and they give you a book? Oh, take this book too, and take you know you give the whole library away. Like okay, okay, okay. I would just ask. Oh, and this will help you too. You know, you're trying to get out of there, carrying a stack of books. Oh, and this one. I kind of be like that. I'm, I'm kind of like that. You know, I don't think the boys gotten me for research projects anymore. Because it's like, oh, what about this book? And this. Oh, there's this book. Good book over here too. And they come out with like six books. Oh, I wanted one. No, you know, and uh, do that. Oh, and this thing do it. That's the idea of God here. Giving what you need and more than what you need. But not only asking, but not but not only asking, but with faith. Nothing wavering. Really believing. This is what R.I. Tori said. Prayer moves the hand that moves the universe. Therefore, prayer is omnipotent. Is that how we view prayer? It's a great quote. Prayer moves the hand that moves the universe. That God moves his hand on our behalf. He cares about your prayers. He cares about your children. He cares about your spouse. He cares about your family. He wants your family to be successful. And what do we see? We see Job. God had put a hedge around. Why? Because God had built that house. Because he was quick to make sure his family was right with God. A great testament, a great father. Job was a great father. You know why? He said he made sacrifice in, for sins he, just in case his sons committed. He said, unless they curse God, where? In their heart. They didn't even say it or do it, but that they thought something or in their heart thought something blasphemous. They wanted to make sure that his family was right with God no matter what. Didn't want anything, a small thing, to displease God. Is that how we run our homes? That we don't even want the smallest thing displeasing to God present there? Because that's the only way we're going to have the hedge of protection around it that we need. Oh, and you want to protect your family and protect your kids from the, what's going on out there? I know I do. Think about that constantly. It's, man, how am I going to raise my four sons in this? How are we going to protect them? Because the world wants to grab them. The world wants to take them. The world wants to bend them into their image by confusing them and blinding them. And do we let their advances into our home? Do we let the walls be down? And well, my children got to make their own choices. No, it's your choice as mom and dad. And so sad today that parents and school boards across the country are trying to, in meetings, saying, we're the parents, we have the right. Can I just tell you something? They're about 20 years too late. What's sad is they just finally figured it out. That the schools really don't care what you think. 
All they care about is what they want to indoctrinate your children with. That you're 20 years too late. They, they, they made that clear many years ago. But parents just figured it out. Many preachers had it figured out a long time before that. Pastor Harvey's been preaching that for years. Lester Roloff preached that for years. And many others. But there's still an opportunity for you to reclaim what God has given you to do. The responsibility, the authority, the ability through his help to build a Christian home. You can do it. It's not impossible. See, it's impossible to raise kids for God in the day and age that we live. Trust me, there's been more wicked days. There's been, I don't know how we say it. Not wickeder, that's the wrong thing to say. But more wicked than the day that we live in today. If that's imaginable, it's, more, it's a wicked, a lot more. Anyway, I'm going to try and use in proper English here. I'm trying, I'm trying. Mrs. Hammonds, I'm really trying. Uh, <laughs> proper English here. But <clears throat> just a simple guy from the mountains anyway. So instead of trying to figure out how to accommodate and accommodate the world in the culture that we live in. Let's just determine if we're going to live for God, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. But here's the problem. That's okay. God says it's okay. The problem is, is we're not okay with it. Because when you stick out, then guess what? What happens when you go to school and you're the dirty kid? What happens to you? You get made fun of. You don't fit in with everybody else. And that hurts and our feelings are hurt. And we don't want to fit in with our culture today. Why? Because we don't want our feelings hurt. We don't want our family to think we're some kind of weirdo. Can I say something? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not afraid to be a Christian. And guess what? If I want to live for God, I'm going to be different. Come out from among them and be what? Separate. It's going to be a difference out there and people are not going to understand. Your family's not going to understand. Your peers aren't going to understand. Other Christians might not even understand. That's okay. You're pleasing your heavenly father. That's the most important thing. You're pleasing God. That's the most important thing. Be okay with being a little weird. But just remember something. When you say, well, we're weird and we're peculiar. You're just normal to God. Do we think? No, we don't think that way, though. We think, oh, I'm just a weirdo, and the culture's going to think I'm weird, and I'm going to be targeted. Yeah. Those that shall live godly, those that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's going to happen. But the question you have to ask yourself, is it worth it to you to please your Heavenly Father to go through that? Is it worth it? And there's many people here that you've decided it's worth it, but... The generation today, like, ah, let me think about that. I'll get back to you on that. If you have to get back to God on that, you have an issue. Because he gave his son to die for you. I'm not the only one in my generation, but I see what my generation, how it thinks. And I'm so thankful that I don't think like them. 
Do you know why, though? People say, well, why are you different? Because I wasn't raised by the generation before. My parents are older and learned some things. And I'm thankful for that. But you know what? This generation was a Generation Z. They're like 8, 17, 18, 19 years old. They see what the millennial generation did. They don't want it. They said, that didn't work. <laughs> and now we see a great turning back to God and turning back to conservatism in our country. Thankful for that. I said, there's got to be something real. That's actually what's going on in Eastern Europe, Western, Eastern Europe right now that they're more open to the gospel. Heard from a missionary this week that this generation, the other generation or communism wasn't open, but they were just, we don't need religion. But now they're open and seeking spiritual things in the new generation. So are we seeking? Do we want a Christian home or do we just want a home where we're comfortable and everybody seems happy and everybody can do what they want? Or do we want a home that pleases God? I hope that we want that. And if we don't, then can I just ask you in kind, nice way, check that you're saved. Because a Christian ought to desire to honor God in everything. If you don't desire that, then you need to check in whether you really understand what salvation is. If you do, and you say, well, I know that I'm saved, then you need to be submitted to God. And we're going to get into that tonight a little bit more. Because that's the key to a Christian home, is surrendering what we want and what we think and what we've been taught and go to the Word of God. Because all of us have been taught in different ways and in different applications of it. We've been taught good things by our parents. We've been taught negative things by our parents because guess what? We're all sinners. Amen? There's no perfect parent, and you're not going to be perfect either. By the way, kids, don't expect your parents to be perfect because you're not. It's amazing how imperfect people expect other people to be perfect. That's just, it's a, it's a paradox. But to this morning, we've been challenged. And we'll continue to be challenged tonight. Do we want a godly home? Because I think we do. I think the desire of many here today, maybe you never even really thought about it, but you just, I want that. I want to have God's protection. I want to have God's blessing. I want to have that. Even if you're a single person living on your own, guess what? You can live for God and have a godly home. It isn't just for the married and people with kids. You can be an island of light shining forth to the lost world. Let's ask God this morning what he'd have us to do. Maybe you need to surrender some things. Maybe he said, you know what, Lord, these things aren't present in my home. They need to be. Help me, Lord, to grow in this area. Let's go to him this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless us as we go into this time of invitation, Lord. We all have areas we're weak in. Some areas are strong. Some areas need shoring up. Lord, help us, I pray to be faithful, to just listen to your voice, to listen to your leading, and to make decisions based on that, to hear clearly what you're calling us to, to hear clearly what you're guiding us to do. And Lord, that we just simply act on it, for you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the master of all things. You have every right to tell us and lead us and to show us out of your great authority, but also out of your great love for us, what we are to do. For Lord, you don't want us to be destroyed and, in, and to, uh, you want us to avoid those pitfalls. Help us to see that today. For Lord, we will only guide ourselves into the ditch because we're blind and we can't see afar off. But with you, dear Lord, we, can, we have your light. We can see ahead. And I pray, Lord, that we would stay in the path of light. 
It is a narrow way, but a way worth walking. Help us to see that today, Lord. Help us all to see that. I pray, Lord, that you guide and direct and bless in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen.